Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Hello everybody, this is another tireless long one here on the Radio Show Limited Network. I'm John Hindhoff and our guest today is Brian Sellers. Brian has invited me to his lovely house, uh, just round the corner really, from Road Atlanta. And we've already talked in the first part of this interview about his early years. Now, we took him from his early days of karting as a means to motivate his school grades through his early single seat years to the point where he won the Formula Ford 2000 Championship here in the United States and had the disappointment of not getting a drive in Atlantic that he was hoping for with Roo Sports and only doing four, four races in that season for a different team and at the end of that season then, Brian, uh, you're out in the cold again because you've had this real renaissance moment with the uh, the scholarships not going well, they're not going well. You've resurrected your career in Formula Ford 2000. It all looks great. And then 12 months down the line, you're not only just back where you started, you're actually worse off. What happens next and how do you motivate yourself? It's hard. I mean, you you get these. I mean, always in motorsports, you get these up and downs, and you don't realize it when you're that age. You just think that it should be up, right? <laughs> if you're if you're supposed to be one of the next good guys, then why is it ever why is it ever down? And I think what you start to realize is there are so many things that are outside of your control. Mm. Um, so I go do four races with Lynx Racing in Atlantic. Um, have a little this bit... This the early 2000s we're talking about here. Yeah, this would be 2003. Right. So I have a little bit of budget. Again, you know, $150,000, something like that, which is, I mean, at the time, the budgets there are $1.2 million, so mm-hmm. it's absolutely nothing. But Lynx Racing had been one of the teams in Atlantic that had um, funded drivers for, I think at that time, something like 12 or 15 years. Mm. Um so they agreed to run a second car because of kind of the results that have had been there previously in F2000, and, and they felt like it was worth a chance and a look. So I go do those four races, and um, no testing, no anything, and just kind of get thrown in. There was no money to test, right? So you, you get thrown into these things, and the only races I could do because they had another driver that had committed to budget. Um, so I do like Laguna Seca, um, Toronto. And then uh, to be honest, I can't, I can't really recall the other two, but they, it was hard. It was, it was like really, really difficult. Um, and, and quite honestly, not that good. Like I just, it was, it, again, I had said, you know, to me, 
my strength at that stage was not just jumping in and going. And I knew that about myself, yeah. but that was a, that was a difficulty and it was something that I had tried to work on, but it's hard to work on when you weren't driving. So, I mean, I had been off for, I want to say something like six or eight months. I hadn't been in a race car or anything. So you're rusty. You're in a car you don't know, in an environment you don't know, on race weekends you don't know, with a team that you don't know. And so, other than that, everything's fine. Yeah, other than, that, other than that, it's great. And those are all excuses at the end of the day. I mean, the reason drivers are hard on themselves is because those excuses don't cut it. And they, they didn't cut it for me then, and they don't cut it now. But it's fact of the matter, right? I mean, it just I, – I had a difficult time. But they saw something that was enough um, then to give me the full-time ride the following oh. year. Uh, which was all that really mattered. That ride was paid for. If that hadn't come along, I mean, were the times in that season, in 03, when you thought, oh, this is it, I'm out of this, what am I going to do? I'm going to go and work for the family firm, go back to school. What, what, where was, what, was, the, what was the safety net? Was there a safety net? They're, they're going back to school, that was the safety mm. net. And I do remember one of the other races was mid-Ohio, mm. actually. Um, and that, I think, was probably the race that showed them what I was capable of. Cause it was the first track I'd been to ah. on the car. And like, I think, you know, I ended up fourth or, or fifth wow. or something like that. Um, so it was, that was reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, that there was, there was no safety net. It was, that was it. That was going back to school. And, and again, as I'm sure many of us have told you, like it's slipping away. It's all just slipping away, and you can see it happening, and you can see it snowballing. I was going to say, it's like a big rock, isn't it? It's gathering momentum going down the hill, and you're going, I can't stop this. Yeah, I mean, you're behind it, and your feet are just getting pushed down the hill, right? And you just can't slow the thing down. Or in your mind, you can't slow mm. the thing down, right? And, and, and nothing you do is making a difference at this point. Nothing you do is making a difference, and you can't seem to kind of get the ball rolling back up okay. the hill. It's just continually flowing down. But... Again, um, they saw something that they thought was one promising. race. Yeah, one I, race can make that much difference. One race can make a difference. It can, I think, you know, I, I, I don't believe that one race can necessarily break you, but I do think one race can. You know, I've seen it too many times in my own personal career that one race has has sent me in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that one was the one that gave me uh, the opportunity to to go with them next year on a, on a full season. So, And how does that affect you as an individual, as a driver, when you have that one thing where, oh, at least I've been the track before, and then you get in the car, and then that first practice session, you go, oh, well, that wasn't so bad. And then it's that regaining. I'm, I'm not going to suggest you ever lost your self-belief, but that momentum, people talk about in all sports, the big more, the big momentum, that self-belief that you go oh, I haven't forgotten how to do this. I I can still do this. I can still make a difference. I can control the bits that I can control. I had lost it. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a a very fickle thing Mm. because it takes a long time to build it up Mm -hmm. and only moments to to bring Mm -hmm. it crashing down. And so I had had, you know, I'd lost the Roosport deal. I'd had three bad races and it's like, well okay, maybe this, maybe this isn't, you know, what's supposed to happen. And, um, so Jeremy Shaw won't remember this, but I do. Uh, and, and Jeremy Shaw again. Yeah. He has been, 
so influential throughout my career, not not just in, in helping me get places, but also in, I think, the person mm. I became along the way. Um, and I hope he doesn't listen to this because I don't want him to hear that. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's your fault, Jeremy. Sure, it's all your fault. Everything I'm sitting around, it's all your fault. <laughs> but... I remember having a conversation with him and I don't, I don't know that he'll remember, but, um, I sat with him and I just told him, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know if this is going to work. And I thought it would, and I'm just not sure. And I think I had, I'd given up a little bit, you know, I hadn't really mm. given up, but I was a little bit defeated for sure is yeah. maybe the better way to say it. Uh, Cause I don't believe in giving up, but I was certainly, mm. I was certainly. You were, you were in, looking at that fork in the road. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was certainly like one round away from getting knocked out. And, um, and I'll never forget Jeremy said to me, he said, well, then what do you have to lose? Right? I mean, if, if you're here and you think that this might not work, then you might as well go in with the mindset of either I'm going to do a good job mm. or I'm going to crash and not mm. get the job because of mm. it. And he said, so I'm not suggesting you go out and just throw caution into the wind and crash. Go out in a blaze of glory. Yeah. But go out trying yeah. and go out knowing that you can do it. And, he, you know, he, he was able to say to me with a straight face, I think that, you know, I picked you for the Team USA thing because – I thought that you were capable. You went down there and you did things against what we both viewed as one of the best drivers of our era. With a, and this with, is AJ with, Allmendinger yeah. with AJ and and held your own. And so, in his own way, which you know, if you know Jeremy, he he's not necessarily a pep talk kind of guy, uh, but he was able to, I think, talk some sense into me and made a difference for yeah. that weekend. Um, and and and. You know, it's those moments that make a difference. Little turning points, little turning points. So for 2004, you've got a full season in Atlantic. You're going back at least to some tracks you've seen before. You're with a team that you know a little bit because you've spent four race weekends with them. Are you getting any testing at this point? Are you feeling slightly more comfortable about yourself or are you still feeling that it's a little bit of a slog? It was, a, it was still a little bit of a slog um, because at the time, what I didn't know, it was actually the final year of their contract. Right. Um, and so I was the last Lynx racing driver ever to go through. Um, but all the other ones had been two-year deals. Yeah. And so, uh, and again, this is not complaining, right? right. Like this is just telling, just yeah, telling a story. Happens. So I, I could do nothing but speak the highest praise for everybody at Lynx because they gave me an opportunity mm. that no one else did. So, um, the the budget was had started to been more more restricted because they were running winding out of money down. right yeah. they were winding down um and so i had some for sure i had some testing i'm not going to say that i didn't do anything but um it was meant to be a two year deal i mean or presumably going to be a, a two year deal and i think the first year you go in and hope to learn and get an idea yeah. of what you're doing and the second year you go in to win i mean that's not that uncommon um in fact it's more common than anything you know you yeah see... at that level of formula whether it, you know back in my day it would be british formula three yeah. and formula three was a two or a three year it's a, program it's a three-year deal yeah. normally right like the first year you get your feet wet you do what i did a, f a couple races the second year you come in and learn and you compete for wins and then the third year you convert that into a championship Correct. right so 
Um, not that that was my mindset, but I thought that there would be a little bit more time. So it was up and down. I had, uh, I didn't have any wins, but I had some really good podiums, some really good races. The beginning of the season was, was super strong. Uh, the middle of the season hit a slump and then the end of the season picked back up a little bit. Um, but all in all, I would say not a, not an unsuccessful year. For what effectively was your first season in the formula? Right. First full season. Right. And it was reasonable. And I was up against, again, really, I mean, there were some really good people that had done it for, uh, that had already been in there for two or three yeah. years. So Ryan DL was there. I think he had been there. That was maybe his, his third year there. Uh, John Fogarty was there. And that was like his 15th year. Not really. But I mean, I yeah, think, yeah, again, yeah. it was his third year. And he had already won one Atlantic championship yes. and won Indy Lights championship yes. at the time. So this is a guy that's like... He was a bit of a specialist, actually. Yeah, I mean, that People forget that about John. It's so talented in those mm. cars. I mean, so talented. Uh, what? Well, probably the best I've personally ever seen in those cars. Really? I mean, just really, really, really good. Um, and, you know, Danica was there at the time. Um, you know, for sure, forgetting people. Andrew Ranger, who now does yeah. cast car. I mean, mm. it's like a good really good group of people. Um, so I thought, you know, it was okay. It was, it was reasonable and I learned a lot. And then, um, come the end of the year, uh, I thought that there would be another one cause I hadn't really heard any differently. And at that time I had, um, I was just over 18. I had packed all my stuff and I was living in California. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, maybe I was 19. I was living in California and, uh, with the team, and then at the end of the year, they're like, well, yeah, no, we're done. It's uh, it's not going anywhere. Um, and when do you find this out, Brian? Uh, they, I mean, they told me, I think, a month or two months before the season was over, a couple races to the end. So I had an idea. I had, it wasn't like they left me high oh, okay. and dry. Um, they let me know. But it was it was a little bit of a shock. So um, at this stage, I'd, I – you know, I had done um, a couple in uh, champ car tests with Newman Haas, um, and I had done a test or two with Dale Coyne also at mm-hmm. the time. And so, uh, you know, I thought maybe there's an opportunity there uh, with either of those places, but it turns out, obviously, it was a time in champ car where they were on the decline. Mm-hmm. Um, well, a lot of the teams were on the mm-hmm. decline. Some of them were still functioning mm-hmm. wholly, but so the Dale Coyne, uh, deal ended up needing money, which there was none available. So it's be what, or five or four? End of four, beginning of four, beginning of five. Mm. Um, and the Newman Haas deal, um, had someone named Sebastian Bourdais take the seat. So, I mean... <laughs> You've had no luck with your contemporaries, yeah, have yeah, you? Yeah, no. Because he was rubbish, wasn't he? Yeah, I he mean, was... he came across from Europe and... Oh, God, my goodness, you've had no luck with the people yeah. you've been up against. Yeah, I mean, he had just come off... I mean, um, when I first did the Newman Haas test, it was basically as... Um, I won from the F2000 championship. Mm. I'd won and... Uh, Carl Haas was importing dynamic dampers, which yeah. was a spec damper on yeah. the blah, 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 blah. That's how these things work. And so they, you know, you do a champ car test. And so they actually, um, Brian Lyles was the team manager at the mm-hmm. time. And uh, Peter Gibbons was the head engineer. And so they came to me and said, hey, um, there's a big push for American drivers right now in champ car. Uh, you're obviously nowhere near experienced enough to make the jump. But what we would like to do is propose to champ car that, they give us four or six 
extra test days above mm-hmm. our allotment if we use a mm-hmm. young American driver and we sign you to a testing contract. Smart people. Yeah, they're not dumb, and they weren't lacking for budget. So no, it was no. something that was extremely possible for them. Yes. Um, and Champ Car knew that, and they declined that offer <laughs> because because they're, the other teams didn't necessarily have those capabilities to do that yeah. same thing. And, so, and, there, and there was a restriction on test days as well in, in Champ Car. Right, right. So they. So saw, it was a clever way of getting around the was, testing restrictions. It was a good try. It was a really good try. So that didn't actually that didn't actually you know uh, turn into anything. But it was pretty cool. I mean, that was a pretty neat relationship for me with those guys mm. to build. Um, you know, ever so briefly. Uh, for those for those years um, so here I am uh, at the end of 2004 um, again with a few options you know one Atlantic team had called me that DL was actually driving for at the mm-hmm. time uh, which was Sierra Sierra racing and they said hey we want you we're going to come back again next year we're going to put the money in come drive to Nevada have a meeting with us so I drive from Sonoma to Nevada get a a ticket on the way because I'm running late (laughs) and um, I get there sit down have the meeting and they say listen it's for us it's pretty clear Um, we'll call you in a couple days we'll get the deal rolling we'll come back and do it and I think I mean they were the champion you know they Mm -hmm. were like championship contenders this Mm -hmm. is a great program Mm -hmm. two weeks later the program closes (laughs) and there's there's no opportunity there anymore so now (laughs) Now I'm like... Are you beginning to think at this time, I am the harbinger of doom uh, to people? I can't even... At this stage, I can't even begin to imagine... How do you... Serious question here, Brian. How do you motivate yourself at that point? Because all the right things are happening and all the right phone calls are getting made, all the right meetings are happening and even all the right responses from those meetings. But then ultimately, things that are completely out of your control are interfering with your life with your career with your next step i think at that point to be honest i was just numb to it all (laughs) either oblivious or or dumb to it because i thought that hey this is just the way it is at this stage right like this is how this is how it's gonna be and this is how this is how i'm gonna have to fight through it and to be honest it hasn't changed for me it's it's kind of been that way through it all. Um, I did have a really good stretch, which I'm sure we'll get into, mm. but uh, it's always been that way. It's always been uh, it's been that way for most of us. When did you feel that you were going to have to give up that that formula, the single seater career? Because clearly, at this stage, you're still quite a young driver. You're still under twenty. Uh, Champ car's not getting any closer. Champ car, IndyCar, not getting any any closer. Um, I'm sure you think you've done in your own mind, and you had. Your results bear it out, and I've talked to Jeremy about this down through the years. You've certainly got the right CV, and yet, and yet. So is the one thing that you can remember that makes you think, do I have to broaden my horizons? Well, yes, and and it was probably not one thing, but, but one person, I think. And so... Um through all these driver gong shows and the team USA's and the Joey hand has become one of my dearest friends in the world. And still to this day is one of my dearest friends in the world. If not, if not my still, you know, we don't talk as frequently, but still. But isn't, isn't that the measure of what a good friend yeah. is that you don't have to speak for months on end. And then you pick up as if you'd seen them uh, half an hour before. Yeah. And I know he's always there and vice versa. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
the deal ended 2004 and he lives in Sacramento. I'm living mm -hmm. in Sonoma and I call him and I'm like, Hey, uh, I think I'm going home and I think, uh, I think I'm going back to school. And he's like, why are you going home? And I'm like, well, what, what else am I going to do? Mm. And at that time I'd made a little bit of money from the Lynx racing. They paid a little bit of money to do that deal. And then I'd made prize money. So, well, it was actually more than a little bit. I think by the time the prize money and everything was over it, it, you know, I had like 60 grand in the bank or what? something. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. It was really good. So he's like, he, he knew the situation. He was on a very similar deal with DSTP. And um and now he was driving for BMW yeah. or for Milner, not BMW yeah. just yet. Um, which is which is Tom Milner's dad, Tom, right. Tommy Milner's dad. Right, exactly, exactly. So and the old M3 days, the black, white, and red cars, fantastic. Boris Said and uh, uh, Hans Stuck, hitters. yeah, really and the Yokohama tires yeah. and all that. I remember I had a couple of brilliant races. I only went always went very well at Sonoma. Funny enough. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, He's like, listen, why just don't go home yet if you're not ready to go home. He's like, you basically have, and at that stage, it was just money to blow through. You yeah. didn't, it didn't matter if you saved that last it. Year yeah, a while. Yeah, it, I could easy live a couple of years on that much money <laughs> the way I was going, right? So he's like, why don't you just, um, why don't you come to Sacramento and and get a place? And I'm and I'm like, well you know why what are we what are we gonna do and he he says well just come we can go to the gym and maybe something comes out and you know we hang out and do our deal um so i move i go to sacramento literally i talk to him on friday and saturday he's at my house helping me move out brian sellers is with us here for this long one uh, the second part of him starting his motorsport career at age nine and uh basically having that as a carrot to keep his skill grades up. And uh, we've now moved on a pace uh, to him upping sticks from Sonoma and going to live round the corner from Joy Hand in Sacramento and working out how long $60,000, uh, which was his, uh, his, was his whole life savings and prize money uh, stash if you like at that point that was that was his seed money uh, at that point how long is it going to last um how long did it last then uh, did you get close to to getting through it or did something happen well funny, oddly enough it lasted a really long time but for it probably shouldn't have lasted as long so i go and you didn't just blow it straight away no, on a really nice apartment and a buying good, a car i did buy a nice tv was he, <laughs> he talked me into a nice tv we went looking and i'm like i had no furniture i have nothing so we go furniture no shopping. furniture but a great tv I, I got furniture, but after the TV. Okay. So we, priorities, priorities, man. Yeah. So we go, and I have nothing, and we're going, we're going furniture shopping, and we must have gone three days furniture shopping, him and I, and people thought we were crazy, like going into the furniture store, sitting on all the couches, looking at all the TVs, and like the the beds, the two of us laying on the beds, and he's rolling over, seeing if I can feel it on one side. So I mean, <laughs> you know. Um, Talk about the odd couple. Yeah, well, it, <laughs> you know, hey. <laughs> um, so anyway, <clears throat> we, you know, we get all the furniture and do the my bachelor pad, and it's like an awesome apartment. But when I move in, um, there's never like any transfer of bills or anything like that. So <clears throat> this this is fast forwarding a lot. So I'll let you I'll let you cycle our way back okay. into this one, but. Uh, 
needless to say, somebody had to pay for the bills and I wasn't paying for them. Ah. Okay. So the money lasted longer than it should have. Okay. Well, that, well no, that, that kind of... I think the statute of limitations has run out yeah, on that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's happening with... So, okay, so now you live in the bachelor life. Uh, Joy Hand is um, uh, playing an influence there, and I even dread to think... You and AJ in New Zealand, one thing. You and Joy Hand in Sacramento, that is just even... That, that's a whole other... Two books and two interviews right there. What's happening with racing? So you've moved up there to see what opportunities. Are you doing any race instructing? Are you doing any coaching or anything like that at the moment? No. So actually things turn out working pretty quick. And I have to say while we're on the topic that uh, Joey was married. So his wife, Natalie, who's like a big sister to me, it's lucky she was there to help keep me in line because... I, I firmly believe you you learn from, you know, the people important in your life something mm. along each way. And, you know, again, I think without those two in that time in my life, I would have ended up much differently okay. also. So, you know, thank God she was there because we probably wouldn't have made it. But um, <laughs> so I move I moved to Sacramento and we're having dinner, the three of us one night. And um, Joey says, well, why don't you like look at doing sports cars why don't you see if you can do sports cars like he said this deal is not that bad like it pays it's pretty cool cars actually and mm, um, racing's good racing's good and so i think well I, yeah okay that's so other like, than having raced done your first test way back the years at sebring do you know anything about it other than what Joyce told you. So now this is where it starts to come in. With with the Skip Barber thing, I attended my first twelve hour in, in ninety nine. Oh and really? so this is this is how it all Which was the first of- round of the American Le Mans series <clears throat> in nineteen ninety nine, because we had Petit Le Mans in nineteen ninety eight, twenty year anniversary coming up this weekend because that's when we're talking. So that was the first race of the ninety nine season. And so that's that's a big part of my life as well, because that's the start of my career. Over here. So you were at that race mm-hmm. as part of your prize package? Uh, as, a as a spectator. So I was there with my dad, and he felt like, uh, because I just won the Skip Barber thing, that it was a good opportunity to mm. go and meet and talk to people. So we went on a exploration trip, basically, to wow. see how the weekends went and to see what the fanfare was all about. So you get to Sebring, and it's like this bigger-than-life <laughs> moment. I mean, just... From all aspects, everybody oh, yeah. knows about Sebring, but what they, you know, you, everyone knows Green Park and that mm-hmm. side of things, but that's like truly the smallest part of it. I mean, the it's uh, it's just hard to describe how, especially back then. I mean, oh. the the late the ninety nine, the early two thousand seven, yeah. ahead yeah. of that time period, it's just. It's mind-boggling, the event. And also, the, the ALMS, even though it's in its early formative years, is there is no world championship at that point. That's the world championship. There isn't a, an FIAWEC. That is the de facto world championship. And I'm so pleased I was a part of it. Um, Johnny Morlam and I talk about this a lot, about, God, I'm so pleased we took it all in, because I always thought my next race or the race I was at was going to be my last one. I never knew. I expected someone to tap me on the shoulder and say, hang off, go on, go back to the mm-hmm. UK. So we did, we appreciated. I think everybody appreciated it. And it was, they were golden years for sports car racing. And, and those were the years where, for Dr. Panos, there was really, truly no budget. It was, it was open checkbooks. So mm-hmm. everything was done 
to the best of his ability. Absolutely. And so what you saw were, at least there, but was was a truly, truly magical event, mm. right? So we drive over the bridge for the first time on race day. <laughs> and, and like, you're just wiping, I'm wiping my eyes because I can't believe it. Yeah. I mean, I just can't believe what I'm seeing. And so... It's, it's the experience and the event with a capital E. It's not just about the paddock. No. It's not just about one part no, of it. No, no, no. It's the atmosphere. You can almost cut it with a knife. It, this is even before cars go on track, yes, right? Yes, yes, And so yes. Th- this is, you know, Thursday night. <clears throat> and so it's night practice. I've never seen night practice. So we go, my dad and I, um, some just freak way, my grandfather's best friend growing up um, had moved to Sebring and his son had a camper at turn three. Like, I don't know how that happens, but so they're my dad's childhood friends at the race. They get in contact. We go and watch night practice from turn three. And here comes uh, the LMR, the BMW, the white, you know, Dell-sponsored deal when they just brought the Williams mechanics in to do the whole deal and they win the race and um, into turn three for the first time. And you see this thing sound beautiful, rip into the corner, and you're like, oh, my God, it's not going to stop. It's not going to stop. Take a step back almost. They hit the brakes. The rotors grow like glow red. And this, this moment for me was a defining moment. And I talk about mm. it every Sebring. I looked at my dad and it was like we both turned and had that moment where you whip your head around and your mouth's hanging open. And, and he goes, how freaking cool would it be to do this race one day? <laughs> and I'm like thinking to myself, this, this, I thought at that moment, like this might suit me better than anything yeah, else. Yeah, but yeah. I'm still so young and so yeah, yeah, early yeah. that the, it, it quickly goes away out of your memory yeah, yeah. to chase the other things, right? But well, does this then come back to you when the whole joy thing happens and him being in sports cars and that triggers something and you go, oh, that's the stuff I saw at Sabring. So there you go. Luke, so there's the circle. There's the circle back into yeah. it. Wow. So um, I start picking up the phone and calling, you know, the people at Newman Haas. Who do they know? I call... Um, uh, the John Bados, yeah. the people, who do you know in sports cars? Yeah, who, the people from Dynamic Suspensions, and so, so it all comes back to one one person and one person only. They all know one guy, Doctor Panos. So I get a contact information. Uh, they all kind of do some due diligence and talk, and I make a phone call and. Um, uh, to the team manager at the time, whose name was Ed, Ed Triolo. I remember Ed. And um, there you go. Somehow... And they're, they're Panos, racing what at this time? The Panos Esperante. Right, okay. So they're yeah. into the GT, so it's, be, it's, it's past the, the, the GTR correct, and, correct. and the, the prototype yep. days. Yep. They're, yeah, they're past that. So now they're into uh, their street car, the Esperante, and I call. And uh, originally he says, ah, I'm just not... I'm not sure that there's a place for you. There's some things that have to work out. Um, we have some guys lined up already for the job. Of course but, they did. <laughs> but if something changes, we'll let you know. Well, for the first time, something changed in my favor. Wow. And um, there was an opening. And so they they uh, saw fit that, that I 
came and do the deal with them. So my first, no testing, nothing. We go to the first race, and my first race is Sebring. And, um, ah, no way. So yeah. this is in what, 05? 05, yep, 05. So, um, no way. So the circle is completely squared at that now, point. Now it's, it's 100% squared. Tell me what, you, come on, you, you must have made a phone call to your dad and said, Dad, I've got the job, and you'll never guess where the first race is. Yep, yep. Exactly right. And so um, night practice, that night practice is, is a moment for me that I, that I will never, ever forget because it's the first time that I like the first time that I think, well, for a hundred percent, the only time and first time I like teared up on pit lane because I'm standing on the wall at night practice looking and, and at that time, the start finishes just lined yeah. with people back yeah. in those yeah. days. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, lined with people. And the car comes into the pits, and I have my helmet on, and I'm ready to go over the wall. And, and who's all, your teammate? Uh, at the time, it was Gunnar Jeanette and Scott Maxwell. Mm-hmm. And all I can think is, here's the moment that I've waited for. Like, this is the, this is the real deal. That's only in six years, though, since she was standing at turn three with your dad's friends going, hey, this is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So actually, in motorsport terms, that's... That's the blink of an eye. It's the blink of an eye. Um, but that is so cool, Brian. It is. It's, it's a special. It is a very special moment. And but did I, you take it in? I did. Yeah, completely took it in. Good for you. Maybe too much, actually. No, no, but no, but there's yes, never too much. I, I did, and and um, it ends up so that that 2005 year was. It was a difficult year, um, mm-hmm. but we had actually some really good runs in that car, and it it turns out. Again, for me, um, probably, well, not probably, in terms of my life, I would say the most defining year mm-hmm. of my life. Um, I got teamed up with Marino Franchitti after a couple races um, because Dr. Panos had all his relationships in Scotland, mm-hmm. and he, I would assume, had money in the Bank of Scotland and mm-hmm. told them he needed money to go racing, and they said, well, we need a Scottish driver in the mm-hmm. car. Mm-hmm. So Marino got mm-hmm. the call. Um and turns out that for my first co-driver, he, I, there could not have been a better person to be teamed with, to learn from, to to just be with as a person, as a friend, and as again still one of my dearest friends in the in the whole world, and I love him to death. Um, and then I also uh, met my soon-to-be wife. I was going to ask you about that. That would have been the year that you first. I became aware of one Jamie Howe. That's that's right. So uh, a pretty defining year. And I mean, it's funny that the things that happened through those years, you know, one quick story. I, we When I met Jamie, we were on a PR trip for Pirelli and Panos. Mm-hmm. Is that Jack Gherkin still it working was, for Pirelli those days? Yep, he put it all together. So Jack Gherkin put this deal together and Jamie uh, was tasked with um, producing and interviewing. She was an intern at the time. Mm-hmm. So she, I remember. Yep, so uh, yeah, because then I think the next year is when she 2006, started with she you worked, guys. She worked yep. for the, the radio with us. Which I think was a massive defining moment in her career. <laughs> so anyway, so we, we, do, we do this deal, and um, I pretty much fell head over heels right away. Uh, she took a lot of convincing. And so we were. How sh- much of that old negotiating and selling Brian Sellers did you have to put into that deal? A lot. <laughs> a lot. It, it, was worth, it was worth the investment, but it was a lot. So much so that, that I'll never forget um, one night 
it's 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 really late, one two a.m. and Marino and I are sharing a room and we had just shut the TV off and he's reading and I had like rolled over in bed. And He'd he, have been reading a motorsport magazine. He was a hundred percent. Yep. It was actually a biography, like uh, you know, a racing driver biography. Such I can't a remember, student of the sport. Which um, I wish I was more like that. It's mm. it, I I truly wish because uh, he appreciates everything about it mm. and uh so yeah i roll over and i'm going to sleep and and i hear him close his book and he says um are, are you uh you still awake and i said yeah i'm still awake and he goes so i've been thinking about something um he says i you might want to give up on this whole jamie thing <laughs> he says he says it's like getting painfully embarrassing from the outside <laughs> now so so maybe you, you should just give up um but I don't really know how to give up, so I didn't. Uh, did that just make you want to try? Even? No, did- we laughed. <laughs> we laughed so hard. We laughed so hard, and uh, I mean, just that that year in general taught me how to have fun at a racetrack. Because up until that, and still stage, be serious in the car and, and on the still track. Still be serious yeah. because up until that stage, um, I'm I'm by nature just a very intense person, and I, it's hard for me to shut off when it's business time. Uh, but somehow he was able to teach me how to turn that off. Not not actually teach me, but just because the person that Marino is, he somehow brings out that calming factor in me. Anyway, as a co-driver and. Uh, taught me how to enjoy the moments a little bit more. Just to, to square the circle with the Pianos and you and Jamie as well, was, wasn't there a Pianos connection at your wedding? There was, yeah, our getaway car. So um, at Sebring in 1999, there was uh, one of Don's roadsters there. And my dad, <clears throat> I mean, still no money, right? Couldn't, af- couldn't afford anything um he's like man one day i'll have one of those he just loved the roadster i mean you know what what some people What's do not, some people well, don't I, right? I, I think you know it's a v8 it's american produced yeah v8 one of a kind what, what's what's not to like right so um so i drive for him in 2005 and jamie and i go to the shop at the end of 2005 um just to kind of tour around and you, i you have finally got her to agree to actually at least date you at yeah, this point. Yeah, exactly. So the the, uh, the outer embarrassment for everyone else is at least subsided. Subsided, sli- a slightly. little bit, a little bit, yeah. The memory is still strong, <laughs> but... <laughs> um, so we go, and Danny Panos is there, who, you know, mm. runs PAD. Um, That's Panos Pan- Auto Panos Development. Panos Auto yeah. Development, yeah. So uh, I just said to him out of conversation, you know, do you know of any roadsters that like are up? And he said, ah, no, I don't really know any that for sale. And I said, well, what, uh, do you have any that, that are sitting here that you could build? And he says, no, no, we haven't, we haven't done a roadster in, in, in years. And so, okay. So we're just walking around touring and he stops like mid sentence. And I like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, he just like an aha moment. And he goes, well, we actually do have one we could build, and I'm, and I said, um, oh yeah. And he tells me, well, we have this one. And he points over in the corner, and and I'm like, well, that thing's a piece. And he's like, well, that's our very first chassis, our development chassis. He said it's our, it's our, uh, it was our workhorse. He's like, it hasn't been touched in, in years. And um, and I said, well, well, how, what, you know, 
what would it cost to build it? And he said, oh, well, you know, we could probably do it. It would, you know, retail at sixty-five, seventy thousand dollars And I'm like, oh, pfft. No, that's that that can't happen. He's like, well, but let me let me talk to let me talk to dad and mm-hmm. and see what what we can do. And so he calls Don while we're there and says, hey, Brian's interested in, in this roadster we have, you know, and, and Don's, wow, well, can you know, what's the cost and blah, blah, blah. And they can build it out for you know, thirty five, forty thousand dollars. So I call my dad. I can't I can't afford it. I mean, I'm not making anywhere near mm-hmm. enough money to do this. Um, and I called my dad and I said, Hey, um, you know, I got a little bit of a double edged sword here for you. A little bit of a surprise. <laughs> um, I can get you a roadster for, you know, thirty five, forty thousand dollars And he's like, do it, do it. We, you know, do it. I'll find the money. Yeah. So I like the sound of your Yeah. Dad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the cool thing is, is so Jamie and I build and spec this roadster for my dad. And so ends up being the the number one and the last VIN of Roadster ever produced, which is cool, right? So first and last. Um, It has a color that wasn't available at the time, chili pepper red. So it's about as one-off as any of the the, um, Roadsters can be. So long story, it ends up being our getaway car. And it's now owned by your dad? It is owned by my dad still, yep. That's a fantastic, fantastic story. Brian Sellers is talking to us here on this long one. Um, you're a professional racing driver. You're in sports car racing. You're driving for Dr. Don Pinos uh, in the American Le Mans series. It's the middle of the 2000s, 05 and 06. Um, tell me about the Falcon years. Tell me about the Falcon years because uh, the you get some success there. Um, it's a massively fan-favourite programme. It looks to be... At the same time, a lot of fun and a lot of heartache. Uh, results didn't come easy. But you're developing, you're on the absolute cutting edge of developing an essential part of the car, i.e. the tyres. Um, and you get paired up with Wolf Hensler as well. Tell me about the Falcon years. Well, i got to throw one more thing no, in no, before we get there because you'll like this. So at the end of 2005, the program goes away from yeah. Dr. Panos. Yeah. Goes to Multimatic. Yeah. Larry Holt who was a huge supporter, is a huge supporter, Mm. actually helped me get in with Tom Milner, Mm -hmm. says to me, I want you there. We'll Mm -hmm. have a spot for you. Mm -hmm. So he takes the deal. I get a call from him that says, hey. uh, Good news, bad news. Yeah, good news, (laughs) bad news. Um, Kind of the same thing, though. He said, bad news is I don't have a seat for you. Mm -hmm. Some guy by the name of David Brabham came calling. (laughs) I'm like, come on. You've got to be kidding me, right? So, but this is where Larry is a special guy. Hmm. And he says, but I told you you were here. So I've put a call in to Tom Milner and you have a test in Sebring, so-and-so and so-and-so. It's going to be five laps. Go and do the job I know you can do okay. and you can get the seat. So I get the seat with Milner because Larry put me in contact. Yeah. But I had to tell you the part about another Brab- guy about the Brabham thing because it's about Yeah, and another one of these no-name drivers yeah. who've come out of nowhere. Yeah. God, you really have been up against it, fella. So, sorry, yes, yeah, so we can't miss out the Milner years, actually. We should- well, no, it's okay. It's okay. I mean, they, you know, it was a, it was a two-year, it's a two-year kind of thing. I'll go through it quick. But we go the BMW deal and... Um, it helps you, what it does do, Brian, and I remember this very well, it helps you establish yourself. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. It helps you establish yourself in a in a more mainstream car, let's be honest, than yeah. the, the Panos was a, a particular beast. It helps you working with 
someone like Tom Milner and his the PTG organisation, and you're working with a, a larger manufacturer there as well. With due respect to Don and, and to Danny Pinos, but there's a there's a I'm sure there must have been a different uh, personality to the team and a different different perspective was the word I was looking for from the team because you went with BMW. No, that's right, and there is nobody that's quite like Tom Milner to drive for. I mean, certainly the stories you hear about him are true, about how hard it is to drive for mm-hmm. him. The stories you don't hear about Tom are in 2006, I did the BMW deal, but then BMW went away mm-hmm. from him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Panos deal actually went from Larry yeah. to him. Yeah. Um, but he didn't have enough budget to run two cars. He, mm-hmm. he, I mean, he only had enough budget to run one car. So he ran a customer and then Multimatic funded some of the car with Scott mm-hmm. Maxwell. I just got married. It's 2007 and I had no job again. So what you don't know about Tom is he calls me and says, um, in Tom Milner way, listen, shorty. Um, I don't, I don't, he says, I don't really feel bad for you that you don't have a job because that's uh, part of being a driver. He says, but I know, I know you just got married and I know you don't have any money. So I'm going to hire you to driver coach this money kid I had, which he didn't need to do because he had Bill there. He had Joey hand there. He had Scott Maxwell there. So he had three guys that could have coached one person, but because of the type of person he is and the family man he is, he, he um, let me do the long races Diamond. and paid for me to coach mm-hmm. so I could make my mortgage payment. Mm-hmm. And so um, those are the stories he probably doesn't want people to hear. But those are the, the you, you hear all the bad stuff in racing, right? You hear all the bad stories and the crooks and the thieves. And, and um, they're the people like him uh, and – uh, quite honestly, most of the people I've been fortunate enough to work with, we the Larry very, Holtz. We the... are very, very lucky in our paddock. I've said this for years, having worked across a number of different paddocks, sports car paddocks, do we have our share of, of, of one or two less lesser people? Yes, of course we do. But for the most part, it's um, I, I don't know why, whether it's the longer races, Brian, whether it's a different attitude, whether it's the fact there's more than one driver in the car, but I do think it's different in a sports car paddock than it is in a single-seater paddock. It is. It is. And so, I mean, we can actually, this can transition into the Falcon years a little bit, because I think the one thing that ends up being important in our paddock is, is teamwork. Mm. And, um, no one person is greater than the whole. And that is the truth. I mean, no matter how much you want to say you have one superstar driver, it just doesn't matter if they can't operate with everyone else. You've mm-hmm. seen it over and over again. You might win races, but it's not, it, it, by and large, it's not sustainable if, if you can't work together. And so I think that's And it doesn't why. matter where it's coming from. It becomes corrosive, doesn't it? It does. It it. It's exactly what it does. It, it, it just kind of melts from the outside in mm. until it gets until it's done. And so I think, you know, that ends up being one of the strengths of the Falcon program yes. in, in the end is that. Which, let's not forget, started not with the Porsche. That started with the Ford GT, did it not? It did. It started with the Ford GT, which was the year before I was involved. Um, and uh, I know the backstory. Basically, they go to the Falcon GT, they want to be involved in racing, Tim Pappas has one. Mm -hmm. But then they realize that to do what they want to do in the sport, they need a a, a real manufacturer's help. And And a benchmark too, because no one else was racing the GT at the time. 
not everybody, there's a lot of Porsches racing out there. So it's a known quantity as well, isn't it? Yes. And the only, the only benchmark that you could really go customer racing with was a Porsche. Mm -hmm. And the only one you would truly want to go customer racing with at the time because they did it and do it better than anybody in the history of, of motorsports. And everybody else bases their customer racing on the Porsche experience. Everybody thought that they were mad, uh, more than the odd eyebrow was raised, because you're going up against Michelin. Michelin, for goodness sake. They've only been around for 100-plus years, and they've only been winning in motorsport for 100-plus years. And, and only the best at what they do, right? I mean, First, foremost, down. always have been. Yeah, that's right. But that was part of the challenge, wasn't it? It was part of the challenge, and I think um, what you – it's interesting the evolution of it all um, as it all happens. I mean, it was really a turning point when Derek got the team, when Wolf and I were paired together. Derek um, Walker, that is. Sorry. Derek Walker, yeah. correct. Um, and, and uh, you know, when we first started, everyone kind of painted us as this uh, David and Goliath mm-hmm thing and and in the beginning i think that that was really true um but in the end it was still being painted in that light and that was not the case um we weren't under budgeted we weren't the and you were tire testing if you could have tire tested 27 hours a day you would have yeah and we weren't we weren't the little team that that could i mean it was a good operation Mm. it was it was the best operation I've ever been a part of. It was run the way it should have been run, organized the way it should have been organized. Well, and it was I, everything. It was everything a works team would have been. Exactly right. And I think you what you had in a driver combination was um, was something that was pretty unique as well. Um, you know, I've talked about Wolf, I, or I've talked about Marino, I've talked about Joey, um, and and. Seven years I drove with Wolf, and um, he is one person in my life that, uh, you know, I can talk to and tell anything. We, you know, I feel like him and I went through a lot together. We grew up together uh, in a lot of ways, had a lot of struggles mm-hmm. together in a lot of ways, and um, and also had a lot of great victories, mm-hmm. shared a lot of really great moments, um, and so... He, uh, you know, he has a very special place in in my family, is part of my family. A, a lot of people ask me about drivers uh, who race together. In single seaters, you have somebody on the other side of the garage. They're the first person you want to beat because they've got the same equipment. At least you hope mm-hmm. that they've only got the same equipment mm-hmm. and not anything better. In sports car racing, it's a different relationship because the teammate sits in your car and you sit in his car. And there's always compromises that have to be made. How... Difficult was that for you, or easy was that for you, to make that transition from wanting to smash everything that your teammate did to working with your teammate and saying, if we don't work as a team, we can't succeed? Well, I think there's there's probably two sides to that. And I think that everyone will tell you that in sports car racing, exactly what you said, that um, you know it's, it's not about, it's about the greater good, having your your co-driver happy and you being happy and being able to compromise. And that is a hundred percent correct. The misconception to that would be that, um, the competitive nature all uh, changes (laughs) and that, that they aren't the person that you always want to be better than. Um, because that doesn't 
change. What does change, I think, is how you deal with that. Um, because I never, ever wanted to be slower than Wolf, even more <laughs> so than probably in single-seaters when you had a co-driver. Because you could very easily say on one day that your car just wasn't as good as the next guy, so you couldn't go as mm. fast. But when you're teamed up with um, what what I consider, you know, Wolf to to be, I mean, one of the well, the best I've ever driven with against. Um, there's no excuse. Either you do or you don't. And, and a Porsche factory driver. Yes. So what he doesn't know about Porsches it actually isn't worth knowing. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, what he doesn't know about him, he's forgot on purpose. So, <laughs> or at least he's claiming because yeah, he's not yeah, telling you. Yeah, exactly. Going back to that competitive. Exactly. Um, so there was never a time where I didn't want to be faster than him, and I think in a candid conversation, he would very much say the exact same thing. But what what the difference is is you you especially when you're friends with the person like him and I were outside of the car are not were Mm. are yes outside of the car I mean I still talk to him all the time right but um you you don't let it uh you don't let it control you you have to be able to to separate it and you have to be a big enough man to step out of the car and say okay um he was better than me today how how? How did you do How that? did you do that? Mm-hmm. And and the gratifying times to that are when when you get out and you say, How did you do that? And then you get in and all of a sudden he's saying, Well, now how did you do that? Right? <laughs> and and they swap, right? Yes. And and that's why that was a good partnership because there was never there was always competitiveness, but there it was I was never angry or it was always good. A quick final point about Falcon and Porsche before we, we bring things up to date. Um, how did you get on with the Porsche straight away? Because rear engine car, traditional Porsche, rear engine car, right out o- over the back axle, not like the new RSR, um, which Patrick Peeler keeps telling all of his new co-drivers, you're having it very easy now, fellas. Um, I know some very, very good drivers who can get in and drive anyth- anything who cannot get on with a racing Porsche. It, it is no slight on their talent whatsoever but it is different and what did you think then the first time did you get what you got into did you think oh my god what am I doing or did you go oh okay I I, kind of see this I've got to just adapt I had a little bit of both sides um, (laughs) because when I first got in I thought oh this is sexually not too bad and then Wolf got in and I'm like oh okay maybe it's a little bit worse than what I thought (laughs) Um, and so I had a, I had a small adaptation period in, in the opening tests that mm-hmm. we did with Falcon before our first race, but I took to it very quickly, but mm-hmm. I took to it very quickly because I had one of the best in the world to learn from. So if I was left to my own ways to figure it out, it certainly would have taken longer, but here I am placed mm-hmm. in the perfect situation to excel or in my mind to excel. It could have been the other way around, right? Yes. But to me, it was, um, listen, this guy's the best. Figure it out. And if you can go as quick as him, then you can be considered in the same conversation. And um, so I was able to do that. I was able to learn from him. And, and I, you know, um, I think in the end, uh, 
hold my own with him. Nothing to choose. Yeah. So on your day, you'd be quicker. On his day, he'd be quicker. And that's a lovely, lovely thing to see. And I've talked to Wolf about that, and I'm sure he would say exactly the same. In fact, I know he'd say exactly the same thing. Um, great period of stability for you in your career and in your life. You put down roots um, not too far away from where we're sitting now. Uh, you and Jamie start a family. Um, the Falcon thing comes to an end. But almost immediately, again, I'm sure there was a bit of, oh, 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 but almost immediately you find yourself at Paul Miller Racing, which you're not too far away from here either, so that's a local thing, and that continues. And you're in a position now where I hope you're going to tell me that you're already sorted into next season and all things being equal, you that is a deal that can, continues and you've had a little bit more stability. Well, I think it will continue, but it's not quite there yet. Okay. Um but, yeah, I mean, the the Falcon deal provided a lot of stability and allowed me to start a family. And for that, I'll you know forever be grateful for them because they allowed me to take the next step of my life and not really be fearful of what was coming next. Great racing as well, Brian, to be honest. And, yeah, and, and it was really, it really good. It was really great. Um, and and established s- you massively in the, the paddock. Um, you and Wolf... Uh, really always fan favourites. That David and Goliath thing is always a good thing for mm-hmm. us in the press mm-hmm. to play on. You guys work that very well. In fairness, the Michelin shod runners and even Michelin themselves, they loved that, that competition. Um, hopefully we'll see something similar to it in, in, in years to come. And then this new challenge, a new challenge with a mid-engine car, the Lamborghini GT3, a different formula, a, a very overtly balance of performance formula where one day you can be up, next race you can be you can be down. How's that been? It's been great. I mean, it's it's <laughs> been it's been a challenge, but I mean that wouldn't be anything different from anything anyone else goes up against on a regular basis. For me, one of the the best things um, has been watching the development of madison snow and um i was going to ask you about that because that's another change in this role because i uh, please don't laugh at this but i still think of you as one of the young kids in the paddock and of course not anymore unfortunately (laughs) and when i sit and review as i did before i came to talk to you here i realized that um you are not one of the elder statesmen, but you are one of the more experienced drivers in the paddock now. It's the same as when I talked to Klaus Graf, who clearly has a painting in his attic because he never looks any older <laughs> at all. How have you found taking on that role as team leader and the voice of experience? Rejuvenating a little really? bit. Uh, and I think that that's, you know, that's the honest answer because um, uh, you see this youth in Madison and this um, this just drive to race Mm -hmm. and uh it's pretty neat like the kid he has some sort of fearlessness in him and i don't mean that in terms of like being the guy that hangs the race car Mm -hmm. out it's not about that it's um he wants to race against the best and Mm -hmm. he, he like you tell him hey um at detroit you're gonna you're gonna finish okay you know, like, mm. hey, I'm going to qualify. We're going to see if I can get a little bit better track position. You're going to finish. He's had a lot of success. Do, do you see a little bit of yourself in your, his early in your early years with him? Yeah, we're, we're we are we're extremely different people, yet somehow um, so similar. I mean, we can you know, like he's he's uh, 15 years younger than me, yet I really enjoy 
waking up every morning and going to the racetrack with him and mm. having breakfast and going home at night and having dinner. He's a good, he's a good person mm. and, uh, is really taken to my family. And, um, you know, it's, it's when we, that's going back to that relationship with your co-driver again, yeah, isn't it? It's a relationship, right. not just a business deal. That's right. And, and I told him, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago and I said, you know, I'm glad that this coming out of the Falcon deal worked the way it did, because if I had been paired with somebody that I couldn't have dinner with, I'm not sure that I would want to do it anymore. Yeah. Um, certainly not ready to hang up my hat, no. but, but that's part of what makes this so great sports car mm. racing is, is you have that, you know, that camaraderie with your co-driver. Final question. And it has to be the final question because I'm running out of space on the recorder. Um, what have you not done that you would like to have done? Champco? Uh, is there uh, prototype, DPI, something like that? Um, or I know you're extremely content where you are, and that's not what I mean. But if there's one or two boxes, Le Mans 24? Uh, I did Le Mans. Mm. Uh, I tested Champ Car. Um, you know, I feel like I've done a lot of those things that I wanted to have the opportunity to do and just because they didn't come to fruition doesn't mean that I am, you know, not necessarily content with having done those things. Mm. Um, I just, to be honest, I want to win more races. And I think that's, you know, they, uh, at the end of the day, I think probably the the, I, the one thing I wished would have happened is is I would have ended up a factory driver somewhere. That's interesting. And, and Different I, pressure. Yeah. Very yeah, different pressure. Very different. Um, and I think that, you know, had things been a little differently a little bit earlier, the, the opportunity could have been there to, to do something. Um, but that that's probably it. Now, however, you've gained a huge amount of experience in GT3 with Lamborghini. GT3 is a global formula. So is there a race out there in the world that you'd like to go to, either with your current co-driver and team or, or just on your own spa 24 bathurst 12 hours something like that that that, that are those big landmarks of gt3 racing yeah i'd really like to do spa i'd really like to do smart food yeah (laughs) i I know i know for some some you ever driven there no and i'm gonna piss a lot of people off by saying this but i'm gonna say it anyway because being honest but like nurburgring doesn't appeal that much to me to be honest with you yeah I, i just don't know i don't know why but i think um it's it's the whole investment into yes. it that that's very difficult. Not that I'm not willing to put the time into it, but uh, you know I, that's that's massive. But mm. I would really like to do Spa. It's to me would be one of the coolest races to be a part of. I would like the weather to be like it was this past year when I go to t- <laughs> when I go to do it though, not sorry, like normal. Sorry, no. I'm sorry. Even if it's your fantasy yeah. race, you'd never get to pick yeah. the, the the weather at Spa. I know. I know. <laughs> Brian, thank you very much indeed for uh, quite a lot of your time. Um, You've provided me with great entertainment down through the years, and I'm sure our listeners would want you uh, to know that you've provided them with it as well and say thank you very much for all of your time in sports car racing, and thanks for having us along for this long one. Uh, Thank you for your support. I mean, you let us us share our stories, and, you know, it's pretty special moments to sit down with you, so thank you. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.